Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 71 with Amethyst Ganaway. I mean, this is something I, I try to be really vocal about. Even with like when I was still working in restaurants and I had little little line cacomies, right? Maybe, you know, younger to me. And they're just trying to figure things out because, you know, of course, you got some of them on one hand that are gung ho, right? Like, I'm going to be a chef. This is all I know. I chef life hashtag forever. You know what I mean? Like, you got those types, and then you got those ones who are like, man, look, I'm just, I'm just here because I need a job. You know, I, I'm still in school, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, even if this is what you choose to stay doing, learn, learn everything that you can learn. Suck this stuff up from whoever is around you. Even if a bad boss is still a boss that you can learn from. I'm not going to say stay there, right? But like there are transferable skills in some aspects, but most places aren't going to teach you them. Most, most places don't have time. Your chef does not have time to teach you how to read a P&L. Half the time, your chef probably doesn't know how to read a P&L himself. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. A warm welcome to all of our Chefs Without Restaurants listeners this week. It is Thanksgiving week, and I know many of you will not be spending it with your families, but I hope you have as good a Thanksgiving as you can. So I'm your host, Chris Spear, and on this show, Chefs Without Restaurants, I dive into conversations with people working in the food industry that are not related to their jobs cooking in restaurants. So we have a lot of personal chefs, caterers, food truck operators, R&D chefs, and all kinds of other occupations represented here. So this week, I'm speaking with Amethyst Ganaway. She's worked in the food business for more than 10 years now, both front and back of the house. But besides being a chef, she also does food writing. I first encountered her on Twitter, where I think uh, many of our listeners might know her from. You can check out her website, Geechee Gordita, which I will link in the show notes. Uh, And from there... She also links out to many of the other places she's written, including Food and Wine Magazine and Eater. One of the things we talk about on the show is being well-rounded and really pushing to learn as much as you can at your place of employment. You know, many of these skills are transferable skills and, you know, some of the things you can learn while working in a restaurant or a food service environment are actual skills that can carry with you to many other careers. We also talk about her background and how she got into cooking. She's originally from North Charleston, South Carolina, a distinction she makes uh, separating that from, you know, what people think of as the downtown Charleston area. So we talk about that and how she got into food service and what some of her goals are in the future. Let me know what you think. As always, you can rate and review the show. You can reach out to me on social media. And I'd love your feedback. And again, if you hadn't heard before, we now have the Chefs Without Restaurants weekly newsletter. You can find links in the show notes, or you can go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find the link to get on that list. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. 
Today, I'm excited to have on the show Amethyst Ganaway. She's worked in the food business for more than 10 years in both front of the house and back of the house. Besides being a chef, she also does some food writing, and you can find her work on her website, Geechee Gordita, as well as in Food and Wine and Eater. Welcome to the show, Amethyst. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on. I'm glad we could catch up today. Thank you for having me. So I guess we can maybe just like jump right into it a little bit about you and your background. You're in New Mexico right now, right? Yes, in New Mexico in Albuquerque, 505. (laughs) How's that out there? You like it? Definitely. Um, I live by volcanoes on one side and I live uh, on mountains on the other side. So I didn't know there were volcanoes out there. I guess this is a little bit of a geography lesson then for me today. Volcanoes, really. Volcanoes. I live by the three sister volcanoes. And then right in the middle of the city is the Rio. So it really just literally runs through the middle and then directly on the opposite side, almost like a border I guess Albuquerque is in a valley, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's Sandia mountain range, and that completely encircles almost like half of the half of the town. But oh, on my wow. side of town is volcanoes. Um, like volcanic rock is like all in my neighborhood and stuff. It's wild as well. So you're originally from North Charleston, South Carolina, right? And you Born and raised. And you make the distinction about North Charleston versus like Charleston. Is there a reason yes. for that? You know, not like the, the downtown uh, Charleston Definitely, I try to make that distinction because when most people hear Charleston, that's immediately what they think of is downtown, um, you know, cobblestone streets, the Battery, Rainbow Row. Horse rides. Yeah, you know, horse-drawn carriages. And I mean, I'm, I'm from North Charleston. I'm from literally, you know, 10, 15 minutes up the road from that. And it's like, on one hand, it gets kind of left out of the conversation, but then at the same time, is being completely all of the gentrification from downtown and the people who can't afford to live downtown now is coming up into North Charleston and is getting completely, completely rebuilt. Right. And I don't know, I guess I just want to kind of stick to that. So can you not afford to live there? Like, are you starting to see that, that push up there? Like the people who traditionally Definitely. live up there, they're not able yeah. to live there yeah. anymore. My so grandma, then, so when did, where do those people raised. go then? Like, do they have to keep pushing North or West and East? Yep, pretty much they get they get pushed from what from what most of I see, uh, they get pushed a little bit further north. Um, like my grandma was born and raised in North Charleston in projects, and you know has kind of started even like throughout my life, right? Has just moved further and further north. We've lived in different parts of Charleston, like West Ashley and stuff like that. But as far as North Charleston, she, we kind of started off in one place, and now she's like all the way in Goose Creek, which is not even in North Charleston anymore, right? But Goose Creek and Somerville last and growing up, that wasn't an area that was really built up. And now I go home and like, that's the place to be, right? Like, that's the place to go, especially because you don't have to deal with the downtown traffic and whatever else or the high prices. Um, But most of those people I see now are starting to have to go to like further north and go to like Columbia or even further. Um, So it's, it's definitely interesting to watch. I love Charleston. I, you know, we go down every year. My sister-in-law lives down there and, and just kind of seeing like the restaurants when you get into like the area of like Edmonds Oast and stuff, like they're not right. downtown, you know, they're pushing out all these areas that were kind of warehousey. Now you're right. seeing kind right. of like all these breweries, distilleries, restaurants pushing up out of the city. So I totally get right. that. Everything's moving a little further away and 
it's a, yeah. the, the urban sprawl. I mean, you see it in every city. I live outside of both DC and Baltimore and I'm like an hour out of DC and we're still considered like a suburb, you know, like right, right. pushing on out because it's so expensive to live in the city. So you went to school for pre-med and theology. Is that right? I did. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, that seems like a very different road from working in the food industry. So can you help connect those dots a little bit? So I guess, um, like, I guess a kind of weird thing about me is like, I've always known, even since I was a kid, that I've had a purpose and that my purpose in some way was to be with people and helping people, right? So of course, when you're younger, like the first thing people say is, oh, be a doctor, right? Because like, especially if you're growing up poor, right? Like that's the quickest, hey, that's the number one job, be a doctor, be a lawyer, make some money, get up out of here, right? But I was like, okay, cool. I could, I could also obviously be helping people. Um, so even all throughout high school, I did um, medical research, like all of that. And then into college, still doing the same thing. I worked doing cancer research up until like literally my junior year of college. Um, and then truthfully, I started failing like higher level chemistry. <laughs> right? And I was just like, uh, I was like, I, I have no... Um, I, I didn't like it, right? Like I liked working with, but I, what I realized I liked working with my hands. I used to do like surgery actually on like rodents and rabbits and stuff like that. Like it's really kind of terrible. Um, but I realized I like working with my hands, but I hated working in a lab, you know, in a sterile environment or whatever. Um, but at the same time, I was also working in restaurants. Like I had to pay for college, um, pay for my apartment, whatever else. So that was, you know, the only job I really could get. So I, I ended up going into theology because, again, I still knew that I wanted to do something that directly involved me having to do, work with people. And I like culture and I like anthropology and I like learning all little bits and pieces that make, you know, up everything and who people are. Um, but honestly, truthfully, like I wanted to go back to school for, for theology and, and be a teacher, be a professor. And like I said, I've been just working in restaurants and I got like stuck, right? Like not stuck in a bad way where it was just like, oh, this is the only option I have. But like, oh, snap, like this is what I really, really, really like doing. Right. And I make pretty good money. Right. Especially, if, you know, when you're, yeah. when you're 20, that's good money. Right. Yeah. It's, like, not, you know, it's was, not doctor money, but it's pretty decent. Right. I was I was making decent money as a t- as a 20 year old. Right? And at this time, I was still a server. So I'm making bank in a college town, you know um hundreds of dollars a night's cool and all I'm doing is serving plates great you know but then again I just fell into it and just started getting opportunities um and kind of forcing myself honestly into opportunities um and I was just stuck with it yeah did you have did you have to push for that it seems like you don't always have the opportunities like how how insistent were you on talking to your bosses and saying like this is something I want to do like nothing was handed to you you had to go and get it I was very, I'm, and just as like a, in general, right. I'm very much like a why type of person, but like, why are you doing that? Well, you know, and, and then what is that outcome or like, you know, so for me, I, and I'm sure if any, for some reason, if any of my old managers ever hear this, they'll definitely agree that it's like, you know, why are you doing that? Right. But I also took a lot of initiative on my own. I'm like naturally very bossy. Um, I kind of like to be, I like to be in control. I like to be in the lead. I like to excel at whatever I'm doing. But I think that on top of me, literally just constantly bugging my bosses, like, well, why are you having to sit 
you know, this table here and, and, you know, a two top here and, and not a four top here. Right. Like just first off, logistically, it made sense to me because I needed to figure out how can I make more money? Right. Like how can I yeah. flip more tables? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, so that's kind of where it came into, but it's also, it's like, well, if I'm going to ask, like if I'm here, I'm just going to ask, I'm not going, I don't have the money to go to culinary school. I don't have, you know, I really don't even know at that time, like what I wanted to do. Right. Like I said, I'm like 21. Um, so I just asked questions and I really was and am still that person who's like, okay, what are you doing? I don't mind coming in early and staying late. Right. I don't want to, I will do whatever I have to, to not do that. But I definitely want to know the whole picture instead of just this one thing that I'm doing. Um, so I think that kind of incessant need for myself personally to just have qu- answers to questions. Um, and then, like I said, just being an annoying employee to my managers or is like, well, if you're doing that, can I come help? Can I see what, you know, how you're talking to a table and why you're talking to a table? Just cause like, I was just that type of person. Um, were they, were they receptive to that or do yeah. you think they were? So it wasn't kind of like, man, stop, stop asking me questions. You know, it's kind of like with kids, like sometimes you just want to say like, do this and ask <laughs> right. why. It's just like, right. because like, I don't have time to get into this, but like, were they, were they good with you? I think they were mostly good with me, honestly, because nine times out of 10, they didn't have to rely on me for anything else, right? Whether it be me picking up a table or, you know, anything, right? Like little things that I think otherwise would annoy them coming from other people like, well, okay, well, I'm tired of having to tell Sarah, why, you know, to bust, pre-bust her tables every time, right? Like simple stuff like that, they didn't have to ask of me because I just already did it. Um so I think when I did have to come to them, you know, with other questions and they re- hopefully realized that I wasn't just asking like surface level, um, but they were, they were more, you know, willing to kind of work with me. I mean, I, I've definitely had some, um, definitely had some bosses who really weren't trying to hear that. Right. And that's cool. But I could, I could, I feel like I could like safely say like at every single restaurant that I've been at, I've had at least one manager or boss or GM or, you know, trainer or whoever I could go to that would, would answer my questions with no problem. Well, on the flip side of that, as someone who's run um, kitchens, I find that most employees don't ask why enough, you know, like I'd come by and say, why are you doing that? And you, you always hate that. That's how I was taught or that's how we've always (laughs) done, you know, like you see someone doing something over and over a certain way that seems ineffective. And like, I always was trying to get them to question what they were doing and not just be like a cog in the kitchen machine. Like think about what you're doing and come to me. Like, like, when I'm the chef and you're the line cook, you're, you're working the line every day. Like you don't need me to tell you, like I'll guide you, but like you should be looking at how the line is set up, not relying on a chef to tell you how to set the line up. Like this is going to be your workflow. So what works for you? But so many people just come in and they just like, well, that's how the guy trained me and that's how it was done. And even if that guy's left and it's not efficient for you, just staying in that rut. Like I, I want to tell all the young cooks out there, like you need to be questioning why all the time. And I think your bosses are going to appreciate it. Yeah. And if you, if you don't have a boss who does appreciate it, then you probably shouldn't be working there. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause that's your job, right? Especially as a chef, like yeah. push your team, you teach, pass this on. Right. And it's also going to make your job easier for you at the end of the day. But I've, I've had people like that who are just like, you know, why are you questioning me? They take it as like an attack on, on, on their authority when it's just like, I just want to know why did you peel the ginger with a spoon? Like, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, why is that a more efficient way or a better way to peel ginger than 
using a knife or using a, a, a peeler, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think, I, I think like people see things as personal attacks, like any kind of critiques, it's really hard, you know, right. like, I've seen plenty of wait staff say to a cook, like, you know, you do a pre pre-service tasting or something and they'd have a criticism and like the cook is very dismissive of them because like they're not a chef or they're not a right. cook. It's like, well, they're probably closer to your average customer. Right. Chef, right. Like, why aren't you, why aren't you listening to feedback from the dishwashers and the servers? Why don't you want to get better? I, it, and it's just right. like an ego thing and not just yeah. from big, up chefs, I think just cooks in general and people in general. I don't think it's just the food industry. I think it's hard to take a critique, like especially when you, there's something objective. It's not like a right. X plus Y equals Z. It's just, you know, it's a creative endeavor. You've made this dish. So there's room for personal interpretation. I think it's really hard sometimes to accept criticism. I think there needs to be more teaching of staff how to take critiques and how to give Definitely. critiques effectively. You know, that's what Definitely. I'd like to see in kitchens. So how did you transition from front to back of the house? So it was, again, partly kind of me, like, honestly getting bored with front of house. Um, and this is something I always tell new servers and cooks, anybody in general, right? Any, any feel that you have to work with other people. My very first uh, GM that I really think was, like, really, really impressionable on me told me, sell the cheese, Right. And I think that what was like... What does sell the cheese mean? Like, like, literally to like, you know, upsell. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Literally just know how to upsell, but like sell yourself, right? Like, and, and I'm really good at that. I'm really good at going to a table and schmoozing because again, at the end of the day, that's how as a server, you're going to make your money. You have, to be, you have to be attentive to your guest needs, right? You have to think before they can think about what they need. Um, you have to know how to make something sound better, right? You have to learn your, your regulars. And this is maybe what they would like and what they wouldn't like, right? And I'm just really naturally kind of good at that. Not to like toot my own horn, but I am. And it got boring and it was, because it's easy. It's something that's easy for me. So I started, I was in corporate, like corporate restaurants um, and I started doing expo. They had like a, so that was like kind of their like assistant manager for back of house. And then you had like kind of a, a service assistant position that was more like an assistant manager for front of house. So I was doing both of them at the same time. So I would do like one week of back of house, one week of front of house, and then two weeks of me serving. Uh, so if anybody ever hears that, that was not me trying to, you know, skirt on my taxes or anything, <laughs> but, but kind of, you know, right. But so um, I was doing that and I, I had to learn how to like work expo, had to go back there and help put prep. Um, and then it was kind of like a precursor into me going into corporate management. So you're, even if you're going in for a front of house job, you have to learn how to do the basics for back house. You got to learn how to do count. You got to learn how to do, you know, read a PL, stuff like that. So when I went into management, it was like, I kind of already had that leg up. Um, and then, and then just like being passionate in general about cooking, right? Like at home or for my friends or for my grandma or whatever. Um, so I think it kind of just like all aligned where it was like, not only am I being forced to have to go learn this because it's part of the job description, but this is kind of where I'd rather be anyway. Like I was a server who would always, I'm bringing the guys on the line, cups of water. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't want to hear y'all talk, here's some water, you know, but I also too was a server who would get my food first if something, you know, messed up, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. like I was the cool server. I tried to be, um, so, but I was always also in the kitchen because like, 
it was fun. I can't cut up in the front of house, you know, I can only cut up when I walk in the back doors, but I also had to learn how to like properly tip a steak and, you know, make sure plate presentation was good. So I think kind of just me, like I said, having, having to be forced into it, but also kind of just, I liked it. I like being in the rambunctiousness of it. Um, so I, I started off, like I said, in, in front of house management and just like, no lie. It was my first, probably first like two months of being at the legit manager or whatever, front house manager. And I went to a new restaurant and it was like the week of Thanksgiving and our KM just did not come to work. Oh, nice. Just, just so coming around. And this is at a corporate restaurant, right? Like you just, you just didn't show up anymore. Um, so I had already been asking my GM, like, yo, I want a KM spot, you know? And it was like, well, I guess today's your, you know, today's yep. your day. So now here I am, um, you know, on obviously some of the busiest, you started a holiday season, right? We got prom, we got all the stuff, well, not prom, but like winter formals and all the stuff going on, holidays and brand new manager. And now I'm doing front house and back of house. So I got like a really, really quick uh, crash course. Trial by fire, right? Trial by, literal, literal trial. And, that, and it's sadly, unfortunate. I try not to be that sort of like cook or chef to other people. But like sometimes you have to be because the only way they learn. And I'm kind of glad that that's how I learned where it's just like, you know, this is a restaurant that has two, three monitors with tickets coming in at a time. You got a nine, 10 men line. We don't have a manager. And now my team's freaking out. So I have to come back here and I have to learn how to do, do it. Yeah. I have to learn how to do it with them. Um, so yeah, I got a lot of trial by fire and just stuck with it. I've seen that a lot. You know, I worked in contract food a lot. And when you work for those big companies, there's very few mentors. Like it's, it's very yeah. rare that you come in and they move you up. It's more like, right. oh, you were a sous chef at this place. Come be our executive chef. And you just come in and like nobody teaches you how to be an executive chef. You know, I worked for Sodexo and it was like, oh yeah, sure. Come be our executive chef. And like, I remember <laughs> my first day at the last job I had, like my boss came over and was like, okay, here's your office. This is your sous chef. I'll be across the street if you need anything. And like literally left me there with these right. people I didn't know. And now I'm supposed to be their boss. And you know, like it's really hard because that kind of sets you up for failure. Like your stat, like I'm a chef. I know how to be a chef. I know how to do things, but I don't know how to do things your way. Like mm -hmm. I inherited this kitchen and now all these people are like, who's this guy who doesn't know how to make Maryland crab soup? It's like, I'm not from here. I like right. I moved down from somewhere else. Like I know how to be a chef, but I need a recipe and I need your guidelines. And it's just really hard because you see that happening over and over where it's just like, here you go. Here's your office. Here's your staff. Call me if you need me. Like, and that happens over and over. And I don't think it sets people up for success. So, definitely, you know, those are some of the things I always tried to be good about training my staff so that they were in a position to move up if an opportunity presented and they wanted to do that. Agreed. So have you always been interested in food? I know you mentioned your grandmother. Like, are you someone who grew up like cooking with their grandmother and had that, you know, kind yeah. of that you hear all the time? So you totally are one of those people who just always. grew up with grandma cooking and her food. Always, always in the kitchen, taking um, the meat out the pot for the greens before the greens are ready, you know, sneaking little pieces. My grandma, like when she makes anything that uses like an egg in it, like boiled egg or something like that, like potato salad or something, I always get an extra egg put in the pot for just me. You know what I mean? Like yep. I was, I was always, always that kid. Um, and, and most of, 
I would say like my, my grandma's immediate kids, um, especially because a lot of times like, like, my, like she is still, even still now if I go home, like we eat, we all eat dinner at the table together. You know what I mean? Like we're going to have at least one meal today together. We're going to sit down at the table. Um, and then growing up in, in the South, right. Growing up in Charleston, whereas like, everything we do has some sort of food. If you go to your neighbor's house, they're going to probably offer you something to drink and something to eat. You know, if you are celebrating a life, you know, you're going to have food, (laughs) um, crab cracks, seafood boils, you know, oyster rolls, all that is just like normal, right? Like being surrounded and then being literally surrounded by food. Like I was talking to my grandma about it yesterday. Um, having pecan trees everywhere, right? Or having citrus trees just growing, right? Anywhere, plums, pears, like literally just growing up with an abundance of food at your fingertips, right? You can be poor. You can be dirt poor in Charleston and you can still eat. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing to know. Yeah, definitely. So is it different? What's, I mean, I love the South. I love Charleston. There's such, it seems like such a great food culture. What's it like where you are now? I know you didn't grow up where you are, but is there a food culture and how does that kind of compare to the North Charleston area? De- definitely, definitely a food culture here. And like, I, I mean, I guess anywhere you go, right? You see like the kind of pride that people have in their, in their food, especially like cultural food. For me, it's it's probably been the most dope to see indigenous food and indigenous people who have been here for literally forever, right? Like Pueblo Mexicans, uh, Pueblo people have never left, New Mexicans have never left here. So like for me, that's wild, right? It's like, you know, I can go wherever in the country and eat fry bread, right? But like to have like Pueblo fry bread, yeah. like that's crazy, right? And, and I guess especially coming from the South where we don't, see those kind of cultures we don't see even just like mexican people you don't really see other hispanic latinx people in the deep 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 south right not maybe more so now but definitely not when like, i was growing up so yeah we had tacos or whatever right but like not like when you come out here and it's somebody's grandma you know, but you know that same kind of familiarity right like this is clearly something that people have been doing for forever and they know how to do it really 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 good um, and then it's a different kind of, uh, of food culture too, because Albuquerque in particular is like really, really heavily brew culture, big, big, big craft beer culture out here. So there's breweries like everywhere. I, I want to say there's like at least 30 breweries just in Albuquerque. It's insane. Wow. Um, so there is a, a kind of food culture kind of built around those, but it's weird because a lot of those breweries don't have kitchens. So, um, they want to have like a bigger, like food truck culture out here, but the city kind of makes that difficult. So, but, but I'm starting to see like, even me living out here for two years, seeing, seeing like this kind of, there's a lot of pop-ups happening, a lot more kind of food trucks that just go wherever. Sometimes they just park out in front of different breweries on different nights. Um, so that's, that's definitely cool to see. And like I said, being able to get like fresh tortillas every day. You know, and it's something that you don't think about, you know, until you like are trying it here and you be like, you know, realize like, oh, snap, like there is a difference, right? Like there's a huge difference. Um, and then, of course, chili cu- culture. You got to have red or green chili. Um, you can so have what, both. What are you a fan of? Do you have you picked a side yet? I honestly go for Christmas. I go for both. Um, but mainly I'll go for green chili. 
mainly. But if I could have an option of having both on my plate, I'll take both. Because I feel like the red is a little bit more smoky in its own different kind of way. And But, I mean, this is also the first place I've ever seen, like, Pizza Hut and McDonald's have green chili on their menu. What? That's crazy. Mind-blowing. Really? It's mind-blowing. That's a thing? I didn't know That's that. a thing. You know, even on TV commercials, you'll see, like, McDonald's, you know, regular, whatever, quarter pounder, right? There's green chili burger. Wow. Wow. I'm going to have to look into that a little bit. There's so much. I mean, just something seemingly small like that that I have no concept of existing. Yeah. Well, it's like I grew up in a small, medium-sized city outside of Boston, but we had a large uh, Portuguese and Brazilian population there, which was always normal to me. I mean, they originally came because of fishing and stuff, but like they have linguiça sausage. Have you ever had linguiça before? I I just tried it for the first time this year. That's something that was like normal to me. So you'd go to like a pizza shop that was like a Greek pizza shop, but they would put it on their pizza or you could get a sub. And when I left, I was like, you can't get linguiça pizza? you know, yeah. in Seattle or, you know, I've lived all these places and you just don't realize it. You know, to right. me, it was totally normal that half the stores in town were not, the signs weren't in English and it was just like what we ate. And I didn't know until I left. And peop- and then people say to me, like, you could get linguisa on a pizza. I'm like, yeah. And it's dope. And I it's good. I, I wish I could get that again, you know? Yeah. So are there foods that you can't get? Like, what do you really miss? Um, seafood. You know, seafood. Yeah, being landlocked That's, out there and not really yeah. having that kind of. There's nothing. I mean, like, because you can, we get stuff here, I guess, shipped from like the Gulf and then from like Pacific Northwest. But like, that still has to get shipped here. You know what I mean? Like, it still has to get shipped here. If it's any other sort of like shrimp or anything like that, they're definitely been frozen beforehand. And I'm I'm used to being able to get shrimp somebody just caught like 20 minutes ago, you know? Yeah, or right like, off the boat. Right off the boat. Do they have crabs? Um, can you get crabs of any sort there? I so so you can get like uh, Dungeness and like snow crab legs, right? Because they come frozen. But um, beginning of soft shell crab season, I, I got a couple. So I was like, okay, well, I don't know where these coming from, but I'm gonna get me some <laughs> crabs. Man, I opened up the container, rotten, spoiled, uh. already spoiled. And I'm just like, well, great. Like, I spent you know thirty dollars on two little tiny damn crabs, and I can't even eat them. Um, but like even oysters, right? Like oysters taste different from Pacific Northwest than they do coming from briny South Carolina marshy waters. Like so, so I can get stuff, but it's never the same. It's never, never, never the same. Um, well, you know, it's it's always going to be best when you eat locally and eat seasonally. Right. Like, right. You know. Yeah, trying right. to get trying to get soft shell crabs out there probably not a good idea. Not but, a good idea. But you, have those, right? but you have those cravings. I mean, there's things from my home that I want, and it's just it's never going to be the same. I can't get any fish to fry. So that like is a huge, a huge thing, right? Like it's like, oh, we can go get some tilapia or some, you know, pre-frozen catfish. And I'm like, no, I want a whole piece of grouper, a whole piece of whiting with the tail and the head still attached. And I want to be able to fry it, you know, like, but, and then people out here don't, uh, who are like, especially from here, right? Like they don't really like get it, get it. Um, but it's like, it's a complete difference in how everything tastes, right? And it's just like, I can't even kind of do that act that I do every Friday that I grew up with every Friday, frying fish on Friday. I can't even do that, right? It's not the same. Like, I don't want fried mahi-mahi, you know? Yeah, yeah, we got a, We have a great place here. And my father-in-law, like, Friday, he always goes and gets, like, the fried fish platter. Like, they only, this place only does it on Friday. 
but that's his thing. And it's, a you know, whatever they've got. And quite often it's like whiting and he's just like getting yeah. like beans yeah. and rice and fried fish and greens and sweet potatoes. And like every, that's we don't even, mean. we don't even bother like asking them what they want to do for dinner. Like right. they're going to go. And it's a Jamaican place. It's called Jerk and Jive and they're on point, but like every Friday without a doubt, that's what he wants for dinner. And you know, that sounds like a pretty good tradition to me. So we, we partake as much as we can. <laughs> So now I guess so many people, I guess, know of you through food writing. I think, you know, you and I connected through Twitter, which I'm sure a lot of your uh, people in your community now probably found you through Twitter, wouldn't you say? Like, it's, yeah. it seemed like, I don't know, I had no idea who you were. And then like one day we we're somehow following each other or whatever, but just kind of like, I love what you're always sharing and talking about. But now, I mean, you've had articles in Eater and, and Food and Wine and how did all that come about? <laughs> just just tweeting just until tweeting. just tweeting until enough people see that and uh, uh, I don't know I guess like um because I had actually taken like a hiatus from tape from Twitter for like three four years I wasn't even on Twitter until like maybe maybe a year before last I came back um and even last year I was really really not on it as much um but yeah so you know at the beginning of the year we had COVID started and then we had George Floyd's death right and all of the the protests and stuff that came from that and then truthfully at least with these current opportunities um I just really got tired of white people talking about issues even pertaining to food that they didn't know about right or like trying to be a part of this conversation without having black and brown people in that conversation or like you know everyone's like oh well food isn't political and I'm like well actually you, you know, like how, what a privilege to be able to say that it's not when in every facet of, of it, its existence, it is political. Right. But like, especially when you want to talk about black people in protest. OK, then let's talk about it. If somebody wants to pay me to write about it, I will. And I said that and somebody was like, OK, hey, we want to pay you to write about it. <laughs> so, well, there you go. That's a good way yeah. to jump into it. So you you know, there's a lot of conversations. People say, like, I shouldn't have to educate white people about this right. and that. Like where's your stance on that? Cause it seems like you, you're, you're writing about and talking about a lot of these topics. So it seems like you do want to get a point out there. I mean, I'm sure it's annoying right. if people are always like DMing you saying like, can you explain <laughs> this to me? And, and you don't want to, and you don't want to do that, but right. it does seem like you're, you know, you enjoy sharing the stories and kind of putting knowledge out there as best you can. Definitely. So, so a lot of the stuff that I do, like even randomly talk about, right. Honestly, it's not for anyone in particular. A lot of times it's just me just getting some tweets off, right? <laughs> or like Think, Thinking out loud. Thinking out loud, right? And forgetting that a bajillion people out there can see it. Um, but then too, specifically, to be completely honest, like I don't write with white people specifically in mind. And I think that's important because again, especially in our industry where a lot of people's voices get erased, right? Like, okay, well then if this is my opportunity to be a voice, then I'll be a voice. And, and I want people like my grandma, you know, who, who look at people who work in food as like still, you know, bottom of the tier to like be able to see like, you know, read this, read what I'm talking about to see that it's just more than what you think this is, right? And, and, and again, too, even, even when I do write specifically for black people, like I'm writing for myself, I'm at the end of the day, like this, again, this is just something that I I feel needs to be addressed and then people like it, right. (laughs) Or hate it. Um, 
and I, and, and, and I don't think that it is my responsibility to like actively go out there and educate anyone in particular. But if you are being educated by what I say, then I think that the point, I guess, still stands, right? Like, There's so many things in the food world, it's hard for everyone to stay on top of any of them. So mm-hmm. like, I would say an example is I love grits and I'm a, I've been a huge fan of Geechee Boy Mill, right? Like they mm-hmm. have so many kinds of grits. They have great, great they have, grits. They have great grits. And, you know, as someone who didn't grow up in the South, not really familiar with the term Geechee and what it means, I didn't give it any thought, you know, it's like just grits that I had readily available. And then, you know, I, I think probably even through you, when all of that kind of came about this summer and the conversation about who are the people behind this, is that a term they should be using? I found it super interesting and just really dove into it and just started reading more. And I'm appreciative of people kind of sharing that saying like, yeah, maybe it is a great product, but like we should also be talking about the people behind it and whether they can claim to use that, that name. And they've since changed their name. I don't remember what they're calling themselves now. I think Marsh Hill, Marsh Hill Mills, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the term Geechee, I don't think is one of those terms that's widely understood it seems like there's even a lot of confusion by people in the south not you know move way out to like where i'm from we i had never even heard the term growing up so do you feel like things like that are a step in the right direction or is it just that like they're doing it because they feel like pressure and if no one had called them out on it they would have just kept doing their thing both i say both right of course of course it's a, a step in the right direction but i would like for people to get to a point where you can think, you know, before you do it (laughs) so that this does not have to happen, right? Like, Not just changing it because you're getting called out on it, but like having the pre-thought of saying like, okay, is this what I should do? Or maybe you do start it and then a year in have the self-realization that- This wasn't probably a good idea. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I think that, okay, you can, you can own up to it, right? Um, and hopefully now clearly other people should know not to do what you did. Right. You should learn from, from an example, but um, that's easy to say when you've already built a business and a brand off of it, you already have clientele that, that know your product, you know, and know you by this one name. Um, so you making that change is not really not, not to say that maybe they have suffered. They probably have, you know, taken a loss, but yep. you know, you've already, you've already established it. So what's your career path look like? Like, what are you interested in doing? Even if it's short term, like, do you have set goals and things that you're looking to do? Or are you taking it day by day? I'm day by day in this thing, man. <laughs> what, well, I mean, what's, I, what's COVID look like right now? What are you doing like work-wise? So doing a, doing a lot of um, like recipe developing, working for some brands and, and some publications. I, I will have some more pieces coming out really soon. I have a lot of stuff coming out like really soon. So that's a good thing. I'm kind of honestly overworking myself. Um, but I don't know, long, like long-term right now, all I can do is really like freelance. Like New Mexico at first, at the beginning of the pandemic was really, really good, right? Like governor shut down really early. We had some of the lowest cases, you know, in the country for months. Um, and just like every place else now we're skyrocketing back up. So, I mean, at some point I wanted to go back into a restaurant and then I'm just like, that's just not going to happen. It's just not a possibility. Um, 
And with freelancing, it it is kind of giving me the opportunity to kind of take a step back out of the kitchen, kind of you know, refigure out what, what kind of goals are even attainable. Right. Cause I really, I don't know how next year is going to look. I don't know how 2022 is going to look. Right. Um, I would still love to do my pop-ups that I had planned for this year. Um, I would love to still do my internship for America's yeah. Kitchen. That yeah. I had for Talk about year. that for a little bit. I saw that. How, how did you get this internship? I honestly, what does I the internship applied. look like? You just applied for an internship with them. I just applied. Like then like, this is one thing about me too, man. Like I'm always, I'm always looking for a job. I can have a full-time salary benefit job and I'm probably on the clock looking at Glassdoor. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I mean, Nothing wrong with that. I mean, always trying to improve yourself. Always, always. Um, so no, I, I, I know, um, know of, I haven't met them yet. Uh, like uh, Chef El Simone and Chef Cassandra Loftlin, two women who work uh, for America's Test Kitchen. And had already been kind of just talking to them about their experience working there. And I think I just happened to be on the job page, right? Looking and seeing what they had. Not, not ever going to move to Boston, right? <laughs> like, but yeah. I'm still looking just to see, like, what are my options out there? What are jobs out there looking like that are outside of the kitchen, um, outside of a restaurant? And I saw the, the posting for it. Um, and I sent it to them, just kind of asking them like, Hey, you know, do you know about this? Blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yo, go ahead and apply. So I applied and they usually do, I want to say like two to four rotations every year, um, of a couple, couple of people. They prefer people who have like, you know, actual culinary experience in a kitchen. Um, so I applied and yeah, I was supposed to be doing a test kitchen intern. So doing all the behind the scenes stuff, um, learning also like about their editorial process, learning how they do the, the, the TV recordings, um, you know, kind of jam packed into, into about three months, but then literally about a week, I want to say it was exactly a week before I was supposed to fly out there is when they're like, Hey, we're going to push this back a little bit, you know? And then next week, Hey, we're going to push this back maybe until a couple months. And then, you know, next week after that was like, nah, look, we completely had to shut down they're probably not going back to work until, you know, whenever 22. at this point. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of just waiting to see how the world, like, like, I don't, I don't feel safe. Um, like traveling on the airplane. I'm one of those people. Like, I don't know. I'm, get I'm with you. I'm not, we, I, I haven't done any indoor dining at all. We've yeah. eaten outside twice yeah. since March. Like we're not even doing that. Like our not town closed downtown and there's table stuff. I, I have a friend who has a restaurant. We went there. We had ordered pickup. When we got there, there was literally one two top outside, and we were able to sit on the opposite side. That was the first right. time. And even still, like I'm like taking my mask down. Like, right. is this okay? Like, I just yeah. I still get anxiety about it. it. And you know, I'm I'm totally down with the takeout. I have no desire. Like, I'm I'm in my 40s. I want to live to be like 100. If I have to right. put myself in a bunker for two years to like live another 60, I'm cool. I'm cool. I got yeah. some stuff I'm going to do in my house, you know, personal right. growth, spend more time with the family. I don't need to put my life on the line. Like right. people are like going in a TGI Fridays, taking their mask off to have like Insane. a $8 burger. Like I'm just not there. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I love the the food industry and I'm so sad that so many places, you know, it sucks. Like we had a super windy night and I have friends who post on Facebook today that like their tents totally blew down right. and all the things holding them. Like they haven't felt safe opening for indoors. So their only thing they were holding on to is outdoor dining. And now their right. outdoor parking lot is trashed because of wind. And this was like the first 
thing that happened. I mean, I'm seeing friends in Boston, they had snow last week and it tore through their tents. Like they're going to be screwed. Like it sucks, but I'm not eating indoors. Like I can't wear that burden of like supporting the whole restaurant industry by dining out. Like it's just, there needs to be some more help that Definitely. I think there there needs to be like government intervention. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. And I'm not in restaurants per se, so I don't know, but it's tough. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like we're not riding planes, getting on a train. Like if Nothing. I can't drive there in my car and do it, if I can't keep my mask on, I'm not doing it. I've never been to Boston. So I'm it's especially beautiful. not going to go to, I was so excited, but like, I'm especially not about to go to a place where I don't know anybody. I don't know this place. And we're in the middle of pandemic. You know what totally. I mean? Like, yeah, I think fam- I familiarity gives you some comfort during these times, right? It's right, like, right. even even if it's a false sense of security, I think for managing anxiety, like having that feeling yeah. that you belong there and you know people. I mean, maybe that's why we're letting our guard down, right? Like, isn't everyone right. getting sick because they're hanging out with their friends? They're not really catching it by going to maybe restaurants, right. although the, the jury's still out. It's like, oh, because this person lives across the street from me, I know them really well. So they're going to come in my house and we're going to take our mask down and then everyone gets right. sick. So it's just not good any any way you look at it. No. <laughs> so are you getting paid to do writing right now? Is this something that's actually earning money? So you're not just having to like, you know, yeah. do it for free? Because there's so much of that out there too. Like, oh, I love your your voice and what you're doing. Like, can you write for me? Sure. Like, what's it pay? Oh, it's for exposure, right? Like, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure you're still getting pitched for free exposure pieces. Yeah, I, that that is just not a possibility. And I, honestly, I haven't had as, as as many as I as I feel like I think I I would have otherwise. Um, I don't know if it is because people are just coming to the realization like, yo, we're in a pandemic and people need money and people don't can't go to work. Especially if you're talking about food, right? Like, and especially if you want somebody who actually has experience in this industry, right? Besides writing or whatever, like I probably don't have a job right now or I probably don't have a good paying one. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's that or if I kind of hopefully make it very clear that like I don't work for free, like with anybody, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say anybody. Like, there's clearly situations, but like, no, if you're asking me to write 2000 words, like again, like goes back to what I said at the beginning. That's a whole nother part of my brain I'm now having to use, right? It's still work. It's I still get exhausted from it. I still get tired from it. Um and it's still a job and I should you should get paid for your job. Um so yeah, I I do most of the stuff writing stuff I do, um I get paid for. Some stuff I just write because I just want to write, you know, or because whatever. Um but I definitely am getting paid for all of my opportunities. And for me, coming from a restaurant, coming from a kitchen, the pay is better, right? Yeah, like yeah. Most of the you, pay is better anywhere, better most, than restaurants. Right. Unless you're, unless you're like, those front of the house, I've never worked front of the house. I know some front of the house people who can clean up pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but and, and that's the kind of the one thing I do miss about front of house is like, man, I know I could walk in here right now and walk out this, you know, walk out this three-hour shift with $200 in cash in my pocket, you know? And, and it's sad because, like, it kind of bothers me sometimes that I see other people, other freelancers saying, oh, well, this isn't enough money or this isn't a lot. And, and that's that may be very true for where they are, for what their lifestyle is or whatever. Right. But it does kind of like make me feel some type of way. And I'm just like, damn, you know, working in small town, Georgia, USA as a cook, you aren't going to you're be you should be very pleased if you get ten dollars an hour like 
that's good in a lot of places, even out here, right? Like, and then I turn around and I'm making a couple hundred just off me writing some words, right? And it's just like, I mean, tell me my knees and my feet and my back could can be, be you know, like be all right, right? Like I don't have to go home, go home smelling like grease yeah. and, and being tired. I could just sit here in my house and I can do this. So kind of like, I don't know, man, I feel some stuff when I say people like, oh, well, you know, $1,000 isn't enough, right? And I'm like, you know how long it takes a, most people in this country to make $1,000? And you can do that really in one sitting. Yeah, I'm ready to monetize this podcast. Believe it. You know, it's like, I just started doing it for fun. But then you start uh, joining some podcast groups and talk to people. And I've heard some numbers. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like people could actually be paying me money to do this. All right. So anyone right here, your sponsorship, we could cut out right here and put your sponsorship in. Anyone who's listening, I'm ready to take it on. (laughs) But you know, you know, you get, you do get better at it. You know, it's like when I started this thing, I don't think I was as good as I am now. The same with writing. It takes a lot of work. Like, how did you get good at your writing? I mean, I think your writing is fantastic. Is it just practice, 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 keep writing stuff until you get better at writing? I guess. Listen, I don't know. <laughs> uh, then, then you were I just re- born with it then. I, I you know. But you, I, read, I, you read a lot. Don't I read a lot. So I think, I, I mean. I've always been a reader. I don't think you can be a good writer without being a good reader. Right. So. Um, and I, and I, and it's, it's funny cause like a couple of friends and I were talking about this this week, actually, uh, there was some discourse on Twitter about editors, right? I didn't even catch the whole thing, but essentially what I said was like, I'm very, I try to be very upfront with the editors that I've worked with. Like I, again, I want to be better, right? Hopefully this is now like a running theme clearly in my life, right? Where I just, I constantly want to be better. I constantly want to be doing something. I want to, I think ahead. So I tell them like, give me feedback. Like, don't get me wrong. Don't be an asshole. Excuse my language, right? Like, don't be a just complete douchebag about it, right? But like, I want to know why did you specifically change this to this, right? Because I don't, I don't know. I'm not a professional writer. I didn't go to journalism school. I, I don't understand an M dash. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get the whole that whole conversation. Like, I get it, but I don't. Uh, but this isn't my you know, passion, right? Like this isn't my career field or whatever. So I don't know what I'm doing. I literally just sit and I just type whatever comes out of my head and it makes sense. I I will say like, you know, growing up again, yes, I read a lot, like crazy. I have, uh, um, I still have a, a, I guess an award, a record at my old elementary school for reading the most accelerated reader books (laughs) (laughs) for like third grade. Right. So like, crazy reader um but then too like I I did take a lot of English forward classes right and like writing classes and creative classes in general for my my degree so I don't know because I already had to write like I had to write a thesis in high school I had to write a thesis in college like having some sort of a background of like you know this is how a paper should be structured right I have like that kind of background knowledge but Truthfully, I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, I think, you know, if you're trying to write a nonfiction piece, especially about something like food, you know, that's for the people, right? Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be this like super extended, very flowery novel. I think sometimes writing in conversational or basic language gets the point across. Like if you really want the most people to read and comprehend this, I think sometimes you can bog down. Like sometimes you just read this thing. It's like that it didn't need to be as long as that is right. like someone's making this overly long because they're trying to fill the page. But 
you know, sometimes being concise is the way to go. It is what it is. Yeah. I, I don't feel like I have a style. I don't know. I don't know any of this yet. I started, it, If on one hand, it kind of feels lazy, but it, I've also gotten used to this and I like this. I'm now talking almost everything in voice memo. And I find that instead of writing down my blog post now, I just take out my iPhone and hit the mic and talk into it. And then I'll edit from there. But I feel like I can get more out. And then it's easier to edit rather than just like sitting at a blank page and writing it or typing it. But now I feel bad because I see my kids doing it. So my kids are doing virtual learning. And my (laughs) son's like speaking his computer. It's like, no, no, like I know how to to write spell right now. Like you need to be doing this. Like, right, right. No, I do feel like I'm setting the wrong tone. But it's the future. I mean, these kids are going to be that's how they're going to be living, right? Yeah what we do. So I always pick up my phone and talk into it. And I'm like, ah, I don't know that I want them doing that yet. They need to learn how to spell and read and write first. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any deep hidden aspirations or open aspirations of owning your own food service establishment? Or is that something you have no desire to do? I want to. And everybody's still to these days, don't do it. And like, y'all look, I know, I know what it entails. I know, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I have not been a GM. I have not been an owner, but I've had to run a restaurant, a couple of them. And like, I, I know baseline, you know what I mean? Like what it, what it entails. And I still want to do it. That's the part that I hope people understand. It's like, I have worked in restaurants for 11 years, man. Like I know from top to bottom, front of house and back of house, you know, like, and I still want to do it. And I, and I kind of, you know, ick at myself, <laughs> Like, yeah, you really, this is what you really want to do. But yeah, I really do like, but I don't want anything crazy. I don't want to be the next Thomas Keller or whoever, right? Like, I just want a low spot, something small, come mainly take out, right? Maybe have two, three tables in there, whatever, a little patio in the back. That's really all I want. I don't want anything that's going to require me to have a lot of staff and have to deal with 400 people at it. Like, I don't want that. Yeah, um, there's all kinds of restaurants. I mean, this yeah. Jamaican place I'm talking about, it was right up the street from us. It's in a strip mall. They have three tables in there because I feel like they just wanted tables. I've never <laughs> sat in there and ate. Like, I don't care. Right. But they've also survived COVID because they're doing a killer takeout business. It's like yeah. three people who work there, something you call the order in, you go in, you pick it up, you bounce, awesome food. That's it. And it doesn't have to be a white tablecloth, a Michelin, yeah. 400 people, you can just have yeah. an awesome restaurant putting out some good food like that. Yeah, that, I w- that's, that's essentially what I want. I mean, and, and deep, deep, deep down, I would love to have a white tablecloth, fine dining, um, you know, experience for the average Joe to be able to go into and afford and enjoy and not feel like, you know, you can't come in here with your, with your work boots on and come and eat something good, right? Like, if I'm going to do something like that, then in a way it needs to kind of shake up what, what, what we think of as conventional fine dining. Um, because I think it's stupid, right? Like I grew up in Charleston. I grew up with all these fine dining, high-end restaurants that um, people wouldn't feel comfortable going into. And, and luckily for me, I've never been that, that type of person. Like if this is where I want to eat, this is what I'm going to eat yeah. at, right? But I understand, I still understand that getting that look of like, well, you're not dressed right to be in here or you don't look right to be in here, right? And I think that's stupid. So deep, deep, deep down inside of me, I would love to have a place like that where it's just, especially in Charleston, where it would just completely blow everyone out the water. Like you can be whoever you want to be and come here and still eat fine and be able to afford it. 
I would like to do that. I mean, I would love to do a cookbook at some point. Couple, I have a couple book ideas in mind at some point, but I'm also trying not to get too far ahead of myself and kind of just live in this moment of now again, because I don't know. I, every day I wake up with a little bit of imposter syndrome that's like, you know, why am I doing this, right? Like people tell me on Twitter or wherever all the time, like, well, you're a writer. And I'm like, I'm not a writer. Like, yeah. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't, I don't know, right? Um, but being open to where it goes. I mean, this, right. it's the same. Again, yeah. like I went to culinary school. I'm a chef. I've identified as a chef. But now it's like the amount of time I spend cooking is so small compared to what I do because I, right. I left working somewhere to start a personal chef business. And that's not a five-day-a-week cooking gig. It's like right. maybe three. Like if I'm lucky, I have four days. But that's super rare. But most of the time now is like, marketing and all that stuff. So I'm spending more time writing, blogging, doing photographs, doing the podcast, yeah. doing all this. And now it's like, I have this whole new skill set. So do I still identify as a chef and, and coming to terms with that of saying like, well, I'm still a chef. I mean, and I have a culinary yeah. business, but I also really enjoy this other thing that has, you know, not a whole lot to do. It's tr- again, transferable skills. Like I could go start marketing your accounting. You have an accounting firm? Great. We can do a podcast about accounting. I can set up a website and build you one for your accounting place. I can do all this stuff that has nothing to do with food and cooking because I taught myself all this stuff to grow my own cooking business. But that translates to so many other industries. And I I think, I mean, this is something I, I try to be really vocal about. Even with like when I was still working in restaurants and I had little little line cook homies, right? Maybe, you know, younger to me. And they're just trying to figure things out. Cause you know, of course you got some of them on one hand that are gung ho, right? Like I'm going to be a chef. This is all I know. I chef life hashtag forever. You know what I mean? Like you got those types and then you got those ones. You're like, man, look, I'm just, I'm just here cause I need a job. You know, I, I'm still in school, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, even if this is what you choose to stay doing, learn, learn everything that you can learn. Suck this stuff up from Whoever is around you, even if a bad boss is still a boss that you can learn from, I'm not going to say stay there, right? But like there are transferable skills in some aspects, but most places aren't going to teach you them. Most, most places don't have time. Your chef does not have time to teach you how to read a P&L. Half the time, your chef probably doesn't know how to read a P&L himself, right? <laughs> like, yeah. if, we're being, if we're being yeah. honest. No, totally. Um, but at the same time too, like I wish that there were more programs available to owners, to chefs, to staff to be like, okay, hey, here's this new software for X, Y, and Z. Yes, this works for your POS system, but it can be transferable to X, you know, whatever other job, right? Like I wish that there were those things because nine times out of 10, the people working in your restaurant are not making a lot of money probably can't afford to go to school or don't have time to go to school or, you know, make time for a, even an online Zoom session, right? You probably, what if you got kids at home or something, right? Like that stuff is hard to do for a lot of people. Um, so I wish that even if it wasn't on a governmental level that you have more owners and more chefs who were willing to take that time out because everyone is not going to be like me. Everyone isn't going to ask questions, right? Like, and especially if that's all you've, you get shown is that you can work in the same position for 10 years and still be making $14 an hour. That's all you see. You don't know to ask about it. You know what I mean? So I wish that there were more people who could kind of put that foot forward first. Like if you really care about your staff or you care about saving the restaurant industry, like there are things that we could be doing 
um, to make sure that, you know, you can pivot your restaurant so you can stay open. Everyone still is not going to stay open, even if you do that. Right. But or or maybe there are ways that we can keep our staff hired right now during this time in other ways. Right. Absolutely. So I don't know. Yeah. Transferable skills, I think, is probably one of the most important things. Um, and that's why I'm a champion for like if I ever do have a restaurant, front of house is going to learn how to do back of house, at least very basic. And back of house is going to learn how to do front of house. Very basic. Saves everybody some time. <laughs> who do you like to show some love to? Whether it's uh, cooks, chefs, people in the food media, like who are the unsung people that aren't getting enough credit? Like, is there anyone that you're reading or really admire that you don't think gets enough attention or oh, love? I don't know, man. There's so many. <laughs> right now I'm, I'm going through um, Princess Pamela's cookbook. The Lee brothers sent me a copy. So reading about her is, is really, really, really cool. Just seeing someone else from South Carolina, not even necessarily from Charleston. Um, and at a time, you know, this is 70s, 80s, you know, you just, and you just don't hear about her, you know. Um, so like that's that's someone cool. And that's that's older. But for like everyone right now, man, like if you follow me on Twitter, or on Instagram, that's the that's the place to go. Um, I try to share the love. Shout out. I try to. I really, 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 really do. There's there's so many people, especially like now, um, maybe in the past couple of months that I've just started to come across that are just, you know, phenomenal in, in, in all their own ways. I'm probably about to butcher her name, so I'm so sorry. Paola Vasquez. Mm-hmm. See, I live in D- the D.C. area. So, yeah. um, I mean, her desserts, I haven't been out to where she is now, but when she was working with Kwame, like the desserts she was putting down, man, I miss that stuff. She's killing it. She's yeah. killing it right now. And I, and, I, and I told her the other day, I said, you need to get your flowers now. Um, and I hope she really does like recognize that, like, and I hope people recognize like what she's doing just on a, on a political level, mm-hmm. on a personal level. Um, it's, just, it's astonishing. Right. And again, like, especially to see it happening in the middle of coronavirus, like that is, that's what even, not to say that she wasn't, because she was already on my radar for working um, at, with Kwame. But she's so, gotten a lot of attention, like you yeah, said, for like, that for so much more than just her cooking and food. Right, she, right. You know, and now she makes funny TikTok videos as well. I mean, she's Hilarious. really put herself out there. Yes. But, you know, using that as a tool to get her message out there, I think has yeah. been phenomenal. I'm, yeah. I'm super excited. Like, I've got to get down there. I'm actually headed to D.C. tomorrow. I'm not sure I want to be in D.C. on Election Day. I'm kind of um. scared. <laughs> But they, but we're gonna we're gonna head down there tomorrow for some stuff. Like, but looking, did she do like a pendan, like something like babka or something like that this yeah. past weekend that just looked yeah. crazy? And yeah. um, that restaurant in general is really awesome. But I haven't been since she's been there, so I'm really yeah. excited. So yeah, I'm gonna capitalize on the fact that I live about 45 minutes from there and go yeah. check that out. Yeah, I think I think she's someone that um, brilliant. I've started to see coming up a little bit. You know, it's great. Like, that's what I love about the internet is there's no gatekeepers now. It's, you know, while you're in magazines like Food and Wine and stuff like that, like, you can also just self-publish and, like, you don't have to wait for Food and Wine to publish your stuff. Like, you just put it on your your website and post it up and people will find it and there you go. You're off to the races. Yeah. And and that's why it makes it so difficult for me to just be like, you know – these particular people, because there's so many, I, I get to this something is something that I, I craved a lot, right. Was to be able to, um, and even now I still do 
but to be able to connect with like minds, right? Um, or even if we don't have like minds, right? But just to be able to have access to see what other people are doing and how they do things is, is it really is, is really wild. But especially like, like I said, doing this for as long as I have and feeling alone a lot of times, right? Especially being the only black woman in a kitchen with nothing but men in the entire restaurant, right? And then I'm on top of it, I'm only like five one, five two, so I'm tiny, right? And I'm on the line, and I, but it's to not have any sort of like community um, physically with you. It helps definitely to be able to see it online. Um, but there's just so many people now, right? Where it's just like every yeah. day I'm probably finding some new chef to follow, and they're probably in halfway across the world. Well, that's <laughs> great. Like I'm a huge, I've been on Twitter for over 10 years and that's how not only I built my business, but found so many of my friends, you know, and then it, yeah. it died off probably around the time, like you said, like you hadn't been on for like four or five years. I feel like there was a dip a little bit and I stayed on and I kept telling everyone in the industry, like if you're someone who wants to connect with people and network, and if you definitely want to get some media attention, like you need to need to be on there. Like on Twitter, yeah. I've said a number of times, like when, like all the publications I've been in was because of it started by some stupid tweet. Like yeah. I, I'm, I made this, I made pot liquor ice cubes, right? Stick with mm-hmm. me here. Like you just take the pot liquor when you're done a thing of greens. And I like strained it out and I threw it in the freezer. I'm like, oh, these are gonna be ice cubes for a cocktail. Like let's, stir them on a gin martini and it gives like some funk it's like bitter it's sweet there's some pork in there and it was stupid it was something i did but like kat kinsman was following me on twitter and this was like seven years ago and she retweeted the next morning john t edge had emailed me he's like i saw your pot liquor thing he's like i'm doing this article like do you want to be a part of it's like yes i want to be a part of it but it was just like one of those things like it went you know, I, it wasn't meant to be like a serious thing. It was just like taking a crappy photo on my phone i posted it to my website i tweeted it out someone I'm friends with saw it, reposted it. And then, That's it. you know, it's like, man, like I'm going to be an Oxford American in an article with Sean Brock and Hugh Atchison yeah. because of like this stupid thing I did, but that's yeah. how it works. And you just got to keep like, I see, what do you put out like 85 tweets a day or something? Probably. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I really forget. I honestly forget that I'm talk Like there's other people who read it. I really, yeah. it really, it really is. It's me like my, like not even half of my, random thoughts that go through my head right but like it's like oh well do, 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 do. But I'm, I'm actually trying to i'm trying to cut back because especially this week in general but just uh, twitter is not always a good place right like no definitely it's a not. good place because like it definitely made me realize that like your heroes are are a lot more accessible to you than you think they are right and they're also a lot more human than yeah, you definitely. think they are right yeah like other, was used cat again right i would otherwise i probably never heard of cat never talked to cat never thought of who cat kinsman is right and so like, well i see this person talking about him blah 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 so i was like oh shit like she's a real person right who, who, who talks about okra all day right like so it's good on that part too but then it's just like the kind the 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 constant flow of people and conversation and and things that are happening a lot of times gets to be like way too much for me. You have to, you have to take it in stride. Like this past weekend, I had a lot going on. Like it was Halloween. I wanted to spend it with my family. Like, uh, and then Sunday I was just off and I'm just like, I took two days off. Like I checked in a little bit and it's hard because like I'm managing all my own social media, but now chefs without restaurants is a thing too. So like, 
my shows about restaurants Instagram, like I'm reposting other people's stuff. And I feel like I need to put out like seven posts today. Like right now we're recording, but today was also release day. So like when I'm off here, like I got to pop on Instagram and like share this person who's the guest this week and share their info. And do all that. And like, that's exhausting. Like I'm trying that's to a run, lot of work. I'm trying to run my business that makes money. I'm trying to run shots about restaurants. Like, but why am I doing all this? Like I said, it's so I could have a better home life, right? Like so right. that I could work on my terms, but it's like, well, I'm not spending time with my family. I'm not doing that stuff. Like I enjoy right. it. I love the podcast. I love all this stuff, but you also have to be accepting and say like, no, it's Halloween. Like I just, I don't need to post on Instagram today. Like I'm, it's not going to cost me my business, you know, like it's so easy to get caught up in that. And yeah, if I have a slow day, I might tweet. 30 times right. it might take like three days off and you can't beat yourself up because you didn't right. get on the internet. Like there's other things going on. Exactly. This has been awesome. Um, I think we're about ready to wrap up our time here. I feel like we, you and I could go for so much longer and uh, yeah. any parting words, anything you want to share before we jump on out of here? I don't know, man. Y'all better wear y'all masks. That's all I know. <laughs> wear your mask. Yeah, I know. Wear your mask. This is gonna this is gonna come out after election, so it'll be interesting to see. And I don't know. I don't know how much I'm gonna be glued to the internet. I don't. <laughs> yeah, tomorrow. same. I, I I don't know any good parting words, man. Just everybody stay safe. Really. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah, words. So we can all travel again, if nothing else. I know that seems like a small thing, but I just want to be able to. I want to go home. I want to see my my grandma, y'all. All right. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. And to all our listeners, this has been the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com.org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.